Hey there, welcome to the Claim the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier. I am your host. I'm also an award-winning professional speaker, author, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And I'm also the founder of the Speaking School for Women, which is a six-week online course that teaches you how to become a professional paid speaker. And this podcast, Claim the Stage, is all about public speaking for women. So if you have an interest in getting on stage, being more confident in front of groups, projecting your voice, using clarity, saying what you want to say, you are in the right place. And this episode today is all about getting back to basics. I had the pleasure of presenting in front of a couple of different groups over the last several weeks and asked them what they wanted to know about public speaking. And I I compiled this list and it actually has about 40 topics on it. And I'm going to pull five topics from it today to share with you because I think what I'm noticing is people really want to know about the fundamentals. Like what are the, how do you, how do you stand on stage? You know, how do you slow down? How do you ask good questions? So today we're getting back to basics. (laughs) Sorry, I just kicked the cat food, which hit the Swiffer, which landed next to the door. Again, I'm in my podcast closet. You know how I roll. So we got a lot of stuff in here. One of these days when I have time, I will actually clean out this this closet (laughs) and I will make some more space for me. But right now I'm surrounded by lots of stuff. So (laughs) today, as we get back to basics, you're going to get a chance to really think about how you're showing up on stage and your pacing and your presence and all kinds of things. So today I'm going to read you some of the questions I've been asked and I will answer them for you. But before I do that, I want to make a few announcements. You know how I roll. Speaking School for Women is back in late September. That's like seven weeks away. So I want to bring that up today because if you are listening to this podcast thinking, I would love to get paid to speak, how do I do that? <laughs> Where do I start? The Speaking School for Women is for you. This will be my fourth time running it in the last two years, and it's an opportunity for you to go from being a public speaker to learning how to build a brand for yourself, learning how to market yourself as a speaker, how to build a speaker plan that aligns you with the right kinds of events, learn how to price yourself and how to position yourself as an expert in your field who makes money at this endeavor. So if you're interested in learning more about the Speaking School for Women, I actually have two episodes dedicated to the women who graduated from the program in the past, where I interview them and ask them about how their life has changed since then. So you can check out episodes 34 and 35, Tales from Speaking School, and you can hear what happened to them since they they left that experience. And I also have a waiting list started for this next round launching at the end of September. So if you're interested in possibly enrolling, you're going to want to get on that waiting list because you'll get first, um, you know, first chance to enroll before I really go out, go out and start promoting it. And I only have 15 spots. So if you would like to get on that list, you can email me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com. And if you want to learn more about the Speaking School for Women, you can go to my website, angelalucier.us. So that's A-N-G-E-L-A-L-U-S as in Sam, I-E-R dot U-S. 
I did want to give one other quick update in my announcements section, and that is about the Tiny Summer Challenge I'm doing. And thank you for everyone who has emailed me about your own experiences with expressing your boundaries. It's been so fun to read your emails and feel like, wow, we are all working on this together. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back to the bonus episode I posted a couple of weeks ago, which... Over, which outlines this this challenge I took on to not only recognize my boundaries, but also express them. And I had the opportunity to do that again last night, <laughs> where I actually said to a human being, I'm doing the thing that makes me happy. It's selfish. And I've never done this before. I have never in my life said that out loud to anybody. And I said that last night to somebody. And I wanted to die. <laughs> it's like... I'm going to go under the couch now. I'll see you in two hours. <laughs> but I did it. And it felt really scary in the moment. And then I felt better. And I felt like, wow, I'm really doing this. I'm actually saying what I need. And it's not as hard as I thought, even though it feels really uncomfortable at the moment. And each time I do it, I feel like I could do more of this. I could do this with more people, more conversations, more situations. So I want to share that huge win from last night. I felt like I'm really, I'm really taking this on. I'm really doing it. I'm actually using the words, I'm being selfish, out loud to other human beings. So, wow. If you'd like to share any of the stories or any conversations you've had while expressing your own boundaries, if you took on the Tiny Summer Challenge, please email me and let me know. I'd be happy to share them on the show or just read about them and give you a thumbs up and a high five. My email is Angela at speakersisterhood.com. So... That's it for the announcements. <laughs> Let us jump into some Q&A, shall we? Today's episode is all about going back to basics. Here's the first question. Help! I saw a video of myself speaking and I looked like a palm tree swaying in the wind. <laughs> How do I be more grounded? <laughs> when this woman asked this question, she performed what she meant by a palm tree swaying in the wind. And she really did look like one. It was actually really impressive. But I recommended that, yeah, she doesn't do that on stage because it is distracting. So for all of these questions we're going to review today, I'm going to give you a short answer, and then I'm going to give you a long answer. The short answer to this question is you need to create better habits. If you're swaying on the stage like a palm tree, Creating better habits will help you to create a ritual, almost like a standard for yourself so that when you get up on stage, you remember, oh, this is how I stand because that's what I practiced. But if you don't have something set up for yourself, then you don't, you're not as conscious of it. And that's when the swaying happens because you're more focused on your words, you're more focused on delivery, and you're not even thinking about what your body's doing. So I'm going to give you a couple of different strategies to help you create better habits so you can avoid this palm tree swaying. The first is power posing. And this has been brought up so many times on the podcast, and we've been practicing it in our speaker sisterhood clubs. And it's so important that you know how to stand in your power because that helps you to feel more grounded on stage and helps you to avoid the swaying back and forth. Power posing is two different poses you can do. One is standing with your legs spread out a bit and your arms up in the air in an X formation. And stand like that for two minutes and it helps you to relieve stress, relieve some of the cortisol, lower the cortisol levels, and raise testosterone to give you more power. And when you feel powerful, you tend to not have that swaying going on. 
The second power pose is when you stand with your legs spread a bit and your hands on your waist, like Wonder Woman. <laughs> and, and doing that helps you to also access that power and bring it on stage with you. I don't recommend standing in the power pose while you're on stage, but it's a good way to prepare yourself before you get on stage. So a couple of things you can be doing any time of day is get grounded in your body and start teaching your body how to stand in its power. One thing I do all the time that a yoga teacher taught me years ago, especially while standing in line at the grocery store, is instead of checking your phone or reading a magazine or just staring off into space, use that opportunity to connect with your body. Stand on both feet with equal weight on each four, each of the four corners of your foot, each foot. So that means you're standing with your feet about hip distance apart, your shoulders back, head up, and you're paying a lot of attention to how much weight is on each foot. You want 50% weight on each foot, and then you want 25% weight on each corner of each foot, right? So this helps you to feel balanced. And then you get to see what that really feels like. Like, what does it feel like to just kind of stand in a balanced, grounded stance? Instead of putting one hip out or putting one foot out or, you know, tapping a foot, getting used to what it feels like to be really grounded will help to train your body to stand that way when you're on stage. Another thing you can do is stand a little bit forward, like, with your knees bent, and that helps you to feel a little bit less rigid. So while you've got the balance in your feet, try like kind of pushing your, your energy and your weight forward on the front part of your foot. Instead of being 50% in the front, try 60% in the front and bend your knees a little bit and see how that changes the way that your energy is flowing it kind of helps you to push your energy forward toward your audience instead of having it back behind you. And if you get used to standing that way, it will create a habit and you can settle into that familiar stance while you're on stage. And it, what it takes is doing it when you're not on stage, really. You know, creating these great habits helps you so that when you're on stage, you don't even have to think about it and swaying like a palm tree won't even come up. So a couple of things you can do if you want to avoid swaying like a palm tree is power posing, hands on the waist and hands up in the air like in the X formation for a couple minutes before you go on stage to access that power. Another thing is while you're waiting in line at the grocery store or anywhere, get used to feeling all four corners of your feet by practicing that balancing technique in line. Stand a little forward with your knees bent a little bit and practice that each day so you can see what that feels like. And then get used to standing that way to create that habit and make it just totally natural while you're on stage. Question number two. I have a startup in the biotech field. My pitches and presentations end up being very dry. How do I not just use facts, but make it emotional and not mechanical? This is a great question. The short answer is... Write your speech for a fifth grader. <laughs> and if you're someone who also tends to use jargon in these technical presentations, writing your speech for a fifth grader or, say, your 90-year-old grandmother 
will help you to avoid using those words and also also help you to avoid being too dry because you need to add elements to your presentation to create interest from these outliers, right? The fifth grader and the 90-year-old who don't necessarily understand or appreciate what you're talking about. So if you can create your presentation for those people, imagine how entertaining and interesting it'll be to the people who already know what you're talking about. (laughs) And also, I think sometimes as presenters, we make assumptions. Like we know what our audience knows. Like we can use these words. We can cut to the chase and not describe things. But really, your job as the presenter is to understand where your audience is coming from, but to also clearly explain things and add examples and stories so that by the time they walk away from the presentation, they really understand what you were trying to teach them. So using clear points and analogies that everyone understands is is a helpful way to do this. And it's also a helpful way to make it more emotional and less mechanical, as you were asking about. For example, saying this, this problem is similar to budgeting. You have to know how much money you're making before you can determine how much you spend. That's an analogy people understand. Maybe not fifth graders, but anybody who has made money in their life or has had to buy something sort of understands that you need to have money before you can decide what you're going to do with it, right? <laughs> so you can use that analogy in your story if it applies to what you're trying to teach. And also... If you want to get away from that mechanical, data-driven, lots of stats, lots of information, I say go from having tons of information to just one or two key points, and then really drive those home by sharing emotional stories that back them up. And I often hear from people, especially in accounting, insurance, finance, any, any of these these fields that feel really dry and seem like there isn't a lot of emotion attached to it, I often get pushback from them saying, well, how do I add emotion to my story? I'm sharing reports of, you know, statistics from the last six months of business. And I say, I want to challenge you to think about the purpose of those statistics. What are you doing all that work for? There must be a reason. You're probably trying to solve some sort of problem for somebody, which means there's a person attached to this. And what is that person doing, thinking, trying to accomplish? How are you involved with their success? What story can you tell from the statistics that help illustrate the whole purpose of the work you're doing? And if you, like the person who asked this question is in the biotech field, well, what, what are you making? You must be building a product that's helping to solve some sort of problem. Who is your customer and how are you going to improve their life? Tell the stories about those people and keep a lot of those additional stats out of it and just tell us how your, your product is going to help them and include the pertinent data that backs that up and get rid of the rest. Because the emotional connection is what teaches people. That's the communication that sticks, not 40 pages of numbers. So the short answer here is write your speech for a fifth grader by telling stories that people can easily understand, leave the jargon out of it, and get us emotionally invested. That will help us to care about what you're doing. Question number three, how do I control the tendency to speak quickly? When I get nervous, I can't get the stream of words to slow down. I hear this question a lot. The short answer is, Only prepare enough content to fill half the time. Because 
I think there's a lot of different reasons why people speak quickly. One is I need to get all the information in before my time is up. Okay, that's one. Another reason is I'm nervous and I have lots of energy running through my body and I don't know how to do this in a way that's compelling and interesting. And hopefully if I talk quickly, people will be so interested in what I'm saying that they'll not notice the fact that I don't really know what I'm doing. (laughs) Right? So that nervousness plays a big part in it. And then also lack of preparation, just trying to fill the space and hope that you can get to the end without running out of air or that you'll say every single thing you can possibly think of. So you've done your job. All of these reasons are not good reasons to speak quickly. There really isn't a good reason to speak quickly in front of an audience because you lose them. And when you're public speaking, it's an opportunity for you to be in service to your audience. And that means speaking slowly, clearly, succinctly, and making clear points that they can walk out the door with and decide what they want to do to change their life. And if you give them 50 different things to think about, it's overwhelming and they miss the point. So I've created this concept called the 50% rule. And what that is, is you build a speech, let's say you're doing a five minute presentation, you build a speech that you think will fill up five minutes, and then you cut out 50% of it. So your speech should only be about two and a half minutes worth of content. And what that means is you've got plenty of time to deliver it. You're not in a time crunch. You're not trying to overstuff that pillow (laughs) with information. You're going to let your points sit with the audience before you move on to the next one. You're just giving the information they absolutely need and you're allowing time for pausing. If you only say half as much as the time allows instead of trying to get twice the amount into the speech, your audience will actually hear more of what you're saying. So only make one to two key points. If you have a five minute speech, Don't tell us everything. Just tell us the most important things. And it's your job as the speech writer to also be the editor and decide, if I could only tell them one thing or two things, what would I tell them? Don't tell us everything. And then practice your points and focus on pausing between sentences. And I know on stage, time can either feel like it's going on forever or it's moving faster than ever. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but sometimes I'll give an hour-long speech and I'll look at my watch and I'm like, it's only been 10 minutes? How has it only been 10 minutes? Or I'll look at my watch and think, it's already been 55 minutes? You know, and I don't know how that happens or why that happens, but it feels like a time warp happens on stage. So a really good way to get a sense of how fast time is actually moving is to count in your head. So let's say you get to the end of the the sentence and you want to pause before your next sentence. Instead of just standing there, Count in your head, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Now you've actually got a sense of how much time has passed. And you have control over when you're going to open your mouth again because you're paying attention to the pauses, not just the words. You can also practice breathing techniques, which help you to avoid that nervous, quick language because you've practiced breathing and your body is more relaxed, your diaphragm is more relaxed. One way to do that is to do a breathing exercise called 487. And you can do this a couple minutes before you get on stage, or you can just practice it anytime in your daily life just to get used to breathing and paying attention to your breath. So the way you do it is you take 
a, a breath and you count to four as you're inhaling. And then you hold your breath for eight seconds and then you breathe out for seven seconds. So let's practice that together. <laughs> to breathe in, it's four seconds. One, two, three, four. And then we're going to hold that breath for eight seconds. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then we're going to breathe it out for seven seconds. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And you do that over and over again, maybe five or 10 times. And what that does is it calms your nervous system. It gets you more present and more grounded and it brings you back to yourself. And it also quiets your mind because you've given your mind something to focus on, which is counting. So it's four seconds in, hold for eight seconds, and then breathe out for seven seconds. And you can do any variation of this, but this is the one I was taught by a yoga teacher, and it's the one that I practice often just to remind me of the importance of breathing, not only before a speech, but also during a speech. So the couple of ideas I gave for controlling the tendency to speak quickly is the 50% rule, only say half as much as the time allows, and then give yourself the space to deliver it. Only make one to two key points, and as the speechwriter, you are the editor, so you get to decide what is most important. You practice your points and focus on pausing between sentences. And you pause by counting in your head, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and you can decide how long you want to count. I think two to three seconds is a really comfortable amount of time to be silent and to give your audience a chance to digest what they just heard. Anything beyond that, like four or five, six seconds starts to feel like, uh oh, did this person forget their speech? What are we doing? Why is it so quiet? So two to three seconds is a really good place to be. And then practice breathing techniques. Four seconds in, hold eight seconds, and then breathe seven seconds out. Question number four. Should you ask questions at the beginning of a speech and start a conversation that way? I heard this works well, but I don't want to be cliche and ask about the audience's commute or the weather. <laughs> Love this question <laughs> because it can be done really well. Or it can be done really poorly, depending on how much effort you put into it. So the short answer to should you ask questions at the beginning of your speech is yes, but be thoughtful. Use that time to ask good questions, not just questions to ask questions. Now, if you listen to episode 27, The Art of Interaction with Stacey Shipman, you will hear how she does this. And I would say her description is the most masterful I have heard anywhere. If you haven't listened to that episode, I would recommend you go back and check it out. Episode 27, The Art of Interaction. The whole episode is just full of really amazing tips to be a better presenter. But this one thing in particular came up for me when I read this question because I think she's, she does it so well. So I'm going to share her advice from Stacy because she says... You can use this opportunity to ask questions at the beginning of a speech as a way to create a conversation, but you can also use it as a way to help them know you see them and you understand them and also create a little bit of humor so that they like you more really quickly. <laughs> 
So she was talking about a speech she gave recently about public speaking. And she started off the speech by saying, how many of you love speaking in public? Raise your hand. And then she said, how many of you do it begrudgingly? Second question. Third question. How many of you are sitting in the back hoping not to be called in and, and wondering why you're here? So opportunity to add some humor. What she did by asking these three questions is she created an understanding of who is sitting in her audience, and she demonstrated that by asking really clear, pointed questions. She knows that when she has people sitting in her audience to learn about public speaking, she has a spectrum of of interest. People either love it, they do it because they have to and they don't want to, and there are the people who are afraid of it, but they show up anyway because they want to learn. And so she, she acknowledges that by creating questions that speak directly to the people sitting in front of her. And she shows them really quickly, hey, I know you guys. Let me show you something about what I know. So the three questions, just to remind you, that she starts with are, how many of you love speaking in public? How many of you do it begrudgingly? How many of you are sitting in the back hoping not to be called on and wondering why you're here? (laughs) So masterful. And she recommends asking three questions because people are comfortable with threes. It's, it's a good number. It's, you know, two doesn't seem like enough. Four is too much. Three is perfect. So try crafting three questions you can ask your audience that helps to let them know that you know them and you can relate to them. She shared another example of a time she did this when she was speaking to caregivers. And it was a, it was like an awards dinner. And, you know, People came to eat, and there were events and prizes and stuff. And so she got up on stage, and she said, by a show of hands, how many of you are family caregivers? And then she asked, how many of you are professional caregivers? And then her third question was, how many of you are just here for the food and raffle prizes? So (laughs) she understood her audience, and she added humor. So making sure that you understand who's sitting in front of you and what they need and who they are will help you to craft really good questions. And you really want these simple questions to get them to say, yeah, that's me. That's your point in the beginning, is to connect with them through those questions. So you're right, by asking, How is the, how's the weather? Or how is your commute? People don't feel like they're really being seen with those questions. But when you get them to associate to a description or a group, you help them to feel like they're part of something. So yes, you should be asking questions to begin your speech, but make sure that they're thoughtful and make sure that you know what you're trying to create through asking those questions. Okay, our fifth and final question. It's a short one. Slides or no slides? It's a good question. The short answer is only use slides if they tell a story, but challenge yourself to think bigger. And I'm actually challenging myself to not use slides at all, unless I absolutely have to. Because I think there are many different ways to tell stories and create a good experience for your audience. And I want to encourage presenters, especially people who are new to public speaking, to think outside of the slides. What else could you be using to help accentuate your presentation? And also ask yourself the question, what would I do if slides didn't exist? right? That's like the ultimate question to help you think, well, if I needed some sort of aid in my presentation, what would I use if slide didn't exist? You can use handouts, right? You can create worksheets. You can have your audience work in groups together on some questions you throw out to them. 
You can use props. You can bring in pictures, awards, artwork, so many things. You can have visual aids like posters or giant post-its. You can use um, crayons. <laughs> One thing I love to do is bring crayons, colored paper, Hershey Kisses, and put those things on the tables when giving a workshop because it helps to create an environment of creativity, fun, you know, innocence, inspiration, and it takes away a lot of that kind of corporate, cold, like boardroom feeling. So you can create an environment by bringing things into your presentation that go beyond a slideshow. One presentation I love that demonstrates this so well that you've probably seen, because I think everyone has seen <laughs> this TED Talk by now, it's Simon Sinek's famous TED Talk, How Great Leaders Inspire Action. I don't know if you remember that presentation, but he didn't use slides. Do you know what he used? He had poster board on an easel and a marker. And he drew that bullseye target thing that he uses to explain how to get to why. He didn't have it on slides behind him. He created that presentation as he went. He created intrigue. He created interest. He made it like he was teaching us something the way that teachers taught us when we were kids. He used a simple tool. That was very effective. And so you can use things like that in your presentation. You don't have to spend a ton of money. You don't have to get professionally made materials. But think about how you could present your materials so it's engaging and it's different than just putting information on slides. Because let's face it, we're all sick of looking at slides, right? I mean, unless you love that. But at, to this point, I've never heard anyone go, no, I love watching slides. <laughs> That's my favorite part of public speaking is watching the slideshow. And I've still never heard anyone say the reason they go to conferences is to, is to see the slideshow. They go to see the presenters. So stop taking the focus off of you and, on the, and putting on the slides by bringing in new ways to present your material. And I want to challenge you to think bigger. Try things. Be risky. Because those are the kinds of the presentations that people remember. And if you are in the type of job or role where you have to use slides to present your materials, okay, then we'll have to work with that. I have a couple of bullet points that are really helpful for you to create powerful slides if that is your only option. And these are from Seth Godin's blog. He wrote, I think it was in 2007, called Really Bad PowerPoints. And it still holds up because there are still lots of really bad PowerPoints even 10 years later. So from Seth Godin's blog really bad PowerPoints. Here are five rules you need to remember to create amazing PowerPoint presentations. Number one, no more than six words on a slide ever. There is no presentation so complex that this rule needs to be broken. Number two, no cheesy images. Use professional stock photo images. Number three, no dissolves, spins, or other transitions. Number four, sound effects can be used a few times per presentation, but never use the sound effects that are built into the program. Instead, rip sounds and music from CDs and leverage the uh, sound effect that this can have. If people start bouncing up and down to the Grateful Dead, you've kept them from falling asleep, and you've reminded them that this isn't a typical meeting you're running. Number five, don't hand out printouts of your slides. They don't work without you there. That is a huge pet peeve of mine. <laughs> when people hand out a huge packet of these tiny 
slides, like six on a page or something. I'm just like, I don't want to look at this again later. This is so boring. Make something exciting. So those are Seth Godin's five rules. I totally agree with him. Mostly, I agree with the fact that you shouldn't even be using slides to begin with because everyone's bored with slides. Get creative. Try something new. There are lots of different ways to engage a group and create something meaningful for them. And I really believe that going from being a good speaker to a great speaker is bringing yourself to the presentation while also practicing some of these basics about that, that help you to bring a, a stronger presence to the stage. You know, really being grounded while you're up there helps to keep people focused on your message and not distracted by you swaying. Practicing breathing exercises and not filling your presentations with too much content helps to keep your audience engaged and also gives them a better chance of remembering what you're saying. Not using confusing or boring slides keeps them engaged in what you're saying instead of what's on the slide. Asking thoughtful questions to open your presentation will get your audience engaged right away versus just falling into a presentation that doesn't grab their attention. And using emotional stories instead of just sharing lots of facts and figures is what will help to connect to your audience faster and create a more meaningful experience. So while these basics are really important for a good presentation, what matters most is that you turn these ideas into something that works for you and you apply your own unique style and personality to each presentation. So that does it for today's Q&A episode, Back to Basics. I hope you learned something here today. I hope you will try something. Maybe take one thing you heard and go practice it, see how it goes. And let me know. If you're doing the Tiny Summer Challenge, please email me with an update. Would love to hear what you're up to and who you're talking to and what you're saying. And if you'd like me to share it, I'd be happy to. You can email me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com. All right, you guys, we have a lot of cool stuff coming up on the podcast this month, more exciting interviews, more interesting topics. And if there's anything you really want to hear about that you haven't heard yet on my show, please let me know. I would be happy to hear from you and create an episode around what you're looking for. And again, you can email me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com. So that does it for me this week, you guys. I hope you have a wonderful week. And as always, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.